Welcome to Plato's Gravity. This is Aaron. Silence, Jason? Huh? Si- you're going to go with silence? What do you... You haven't done silence before? Are we on... Are we doing the show? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Hi, Aaron. You're, I think you've done silence before. Huh? I think you've well, done I don't understand. Every time I do something, you then say my name, and then you're like, but Jason, say your name. Jason, you've just said it twice. Why are you asking me... Anyway, say this, my is, name. Uh, this is Aaron and Jason on Plato's Gravity. <laughs> what we are, are you, Beyonce? Incredibly grateful to... No, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly not. Catherine will be happy with the reference. Uh, we are wel- uh, happy to be welcomed by Upland Brewery. We're here in uh, the wood shop where we can see many, many barrels of beer that will taste delicious uh, either now or at some point in the future, depending on when Eli says it's ready. We are here with Pete and Eli uh, to talk about the uh, sour beer program here at Upland. So, Pete and Eli, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. So we are going to start. Uh, we start every uh, show by drinking a beer together, a beer that you guys chose. This is uh, Eli, one of yours. Can you uh, tell us what we're drinking and uh, tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so uh, we've got peach in front of us. So it's our uh, our base sour um, aged on pe- uh, peaches. So um, we picked this one actually just because we're in the middle of processing peaches right now. We've got mm-hmm. a little over 5,000 pounds in house right now and removing the stones and Cutting them up into little pieces, and how does one come by five thousand pounds of peaches? Uh, <laughs> you reach out to quite a few suppliers, and uh, we've we've been with the same one for a long time. A guy down in southern Indiana that uh, acquires them for us, and um, yeah, he brings them up and delivers them for he us. He doesn't so. deep hit them though. No, he no, does not. So. Probably more expensive. I guess. Is it a specific variety of peach? I actually don't have the varieties on hand right now. Okay. But, uh, Clingstone, freestone. They're freestone. Yeah. Oh, thank God. Yeah, oh, no, Jesus. Sure. Yeah, that, that's a must. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have had clingstone before, and yeah, it's not as fun. No, for sure. Um, I, I don't understand about peaches. What's well, you see, Aaron, the uh, there are clingstone and freestone. I learned this from uh, Alton Brown on the Food oh. Network. Are you familiar yeah. with Mr. I, I Mr. Brown? From it, I have three of his cookbooks. Yeah. There are there are so there so sometimes the 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 stone the pit sticks in the peach and you just get a lot of pulp kind of stuck to it and it's really hard to remove a freestone you can literally slice the peach in half kind of twist it and then the peach the, the oh, stone so these are these are peaches right that have been bred to make your life easier yeah, yeah. Well, that's good much. you sound like you have some experience <laughs> uh you need to help us now I <laughs> yeah you yeah. guys have we to <laughs> work for at least an hour after this whole thing <laughs> yeah. Up, uh, upland has provided the beer generously and we're going to work for the beer after <laughs> absolutely as, as my work. as my cherry tree died in my backyard i w- as it was starting to die because it was old and it was small i planted a peach tree and i made sure to plant a freestone tree because if I'm going to eat those things, it's just, I don't know if it's a clingstone. I, then I start sucking on the pit, which is a weird thing to have said out loud. And I'm so sorry. <laughs> but isn't, isn't the, the, the interesting part of the show, the, the more fun part of the show is supposed to be the second half. Oh, okay. All this right. Is not the All time. right. I'll stop. I'll stop <laughs> having what is, fun what is, now. What is, what is, so, yeah. um, so this beer, uh, peach, uh, by the way, so beer naming is fun. Right. How it do is, you guys get peach? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, uh, so this is a beer we've been making quite a long time. It's one of the first, uh, sour beers that we made or early fruits that we used mm-hmm. and um you know I've, one of the things we started doing you know 2006 we started making sour beer there weren't a lot of brewers doing that right um and um like a lot of brewers you're trying to maybe emulate or or, or make a beer that you've tasted from uh from another region and so we called a lot of our beers um peach lambic or cherry lambic and um, that was, uh, you know, back then we didn't know a better term to use. Right. Because that's what the style that we were trying to emulate. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's how we started out with, pe- you know, with calling it 
peach and and you know as we learned more more brewers started making it making the beer and then you know a couple of years later you know in belgium they really didn't like the fact they were using the term lambic and, right it's you know, the whole thing yeah and so you know that was removing lambic from the label was um, we actually did that before belgium reached out to us um but uh that was out of respect to to the region and and so this is a lambic style of beer right um the uh, the process that we go through is not exactly how they do it there. Sure. Um, but w- when we first started the program, um, that's what we were trying to emulate. And so that's how this beer got that name. And, and we really liked uh, the simplicity of for, for anything that we name where it's just the fruit. So raspberry, yeah. blueberry. Right. You, the only thing in that, the only thing we have added to that beer is that single fruit. So no spices, nothing else. It's our typically our base beer with that single fruit. And so um, we've experimented. I don't even know how many different fruits we've experimented with. And pretty much um, any one that you can find. <laughs> <laughs> Anything. Yeah. yeah so so that's, that's that's easier for us to name beers uh, for, for, for over here. But um, we also use, like, fanciful names over here, too. But So, I, and I think, you know, sour brewing or mixed fermentation brewing, uh, it, it has different challenges, and it takes kind of a, 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 a different kind of creative mind. It's certainly some good palates to kind of understand and get through and make, make good beer that way. Uh What's your background as a brewer, Eli? I mean, you're now running the sour program here in Upland, but have you always been uh, kind of interested in, in brewing this type of beer, or did you brew more clean stuff before? Yeah, I mean, uh, sours have definitely been an interest of mine since I got into brewing. Um, but I, so I, I started out um, home brewing, just like most brewers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then pretty much instantly after learning to brew, I got a job at a homebrew shop, which is uh, turns out to be our, one of our uh, local wineries. I then got really involved in the wine side, Mm -hmm. um, working out at the vineyard and things like that, uh, before coming here to Upland. So, um, and I was uh, towards the end, uh, or well, I say towards the end of my home brewing career, (laughs) (laughs) I still homebrew occasionally, just not as much as I used to. Um, I was pretty much, I was brewing sours constantly. So, um, I then came over here to Upland, um, and was in the seller for about three years um doing like yeast management filtration centrifuging stuff like that um and then when we built the wood shop over here is whenever i started to be more involved in the sour program i mean i was since since i've been here i've been helping with bottling and things like that um from the beginning but yeah nice so can you talk about brewing sours at home and then now brewing them uh on a much larger scale like uh like what's what what's your favorite tool that you have as a pro brewer to make sours that you don't have uh, as a home brewer barrels and, <laughs> uh, and fooders i mean yeah just the the amount of uh time it would take to fill a barrel at home is just ridiculous and now it's like yeah. you rack out a 20 barrels no problem so um and the fooders are really fun for sure nice yeah, it's, it's it's really challenging i think on a small scale um, that that the huge advantage we have is we've got you know 400 different fermenters to pick from right mm-hmm. And a big part of this process is blending. So uh, being able to uh, have, if you have, if you're home brewing, you got like, and depending how many barrels or, or uh, carboys you have, you might have like one or two shots at getting it right. Right. Um, we have the ability, if a beer comes out a little too acidic or a little meek, you know, mild, we can blend the two together and make something really beautiful. Right. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, I think it's, we talk about that a lot, like on a, on a homebrew scale. Like if you one barrel, one barrel goes bad, or one one batch goes bad, you're kind of you're, you're making stuck. the next one. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. So, and we have we have the um, we've gotten a lot better um, now that we have the wood shop and we have uh, air conditioning, and we can have a lot better temperature control. We don't have nearly as many barrels that kind of 
take run, a wrong turn run away from you yeah, yeah so um when we first started we were in a uh, pole barn <laughs> That had, uh, I will say, zero temperature control. Right. Uh, More of a classical. Heat kept it from freezing in yeah. the wintertime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we ran into a lot more issues back when we first started. Um, but we were just tasting some Sour Reserve this morning. It's a beer we used multiple years of, bl- of aging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just telling Eli, like, man, that four-year-old stuff uh, is tasting fantastic. And I go back to when we were in 2012, 2013. If we had something four years old, it would have been... Um, a lot tasting a lot different. Yeah, so it's sure. uh, it's uh, we've made a lot of progress with the program. Nice. Yeah. Now, you, you mentioned uh, that you have some background in a winery, and I think uh, if you go to uh, a tap room uh, at Upland and you look at, at their sour beer menu, you can see the influence of wine in, oh, for in, sure. in the beers that, that are made here. Can you talk about um, how, how kind of blending the idea of making sour beers with the idea of making wine kind of influences the beer you make? Yeah, I mean, pretty like. After the brew house, um, what we do here is very similar to a winery. It's it's way it's it's a lot closer to a winery than an actual brewery. I mean, with us having up to like 350 barrels, the 11 fooders, um, and we age things for generally between six months to 18 months, up to four years, um, and we're able to do a lot of blending. So, um, and we deal a lot with fruit as well. Um, there's a lot of fruit refermentations. Um, it's just yeah, it's very similar to to the wine the wine side of things um we get to go out work in the fields at times when when luckily when we're able to get away um nice. and stuff like that so well you guys also do some stuff with grapes yeah for right. sure yeah one of i mean the whole how we this whole program started was we traded um i can't remember how many cases of of beer for four barrels from oliver winery just down the Talked road about that last yeah. Yeah, last so uh it was uh, it's since the beginning we've had a good relationship with them, um, and they just kind of go hand in hand. Um, I mean, the lambic producers have been doing a fruited, uh, fruiting their lambics with grapes for mm-hmm. a long time, so it's just kind of a natural, natural thing to do. So we talked about kind of in the last episode we talked about getting folks who might be drinking macro beers to drink uh, craft beer, more focusing on the clean side like the wheat beer and the uh, and the the champagne velvet. Can you talk about like how what you're doing might entice like a, a different drinker, like a wine drinker, to kind of come and switch over to beer? Yeah, I definitely see it a lot. Um, there's a lot of people who generally don't like beer that will tend to like sours. I mean, it's it is a beer, but it is very similar to a uh, wine in flavor. It's got a lot, lot more acidity in there. Um, so tend to they're not, not nothing we put out is actually sweet, but they've got like a like a they, they kind of taste sweet um, mm-hmm. just from all the fruity aromas and everything like that uh, but yeah it's it's a great yeah it, being in the wood shop here we'll get people coming in doing tours and there'll be many people will be like oh no I don't like beer I don't like beer then they'll try some sours um, especially some of the lower acidity ones um, high fruit like revive is a really good one for uh, people to transition into um, so so I have like a I'm gonna switch gears just a little bit I have like a, a this is a very carbonated beer, right? Yeah. Uh, it's very nicely carbonated, very sparkling. That kind of adds some, I, I think, depth to it. When you were pouring it out of the tap, it was coming out very slow. So, so it's obviously sitting at a different pressure than you're serving it at. How does that? We've work? got flow control on all our taps, uh, so you can dial those dial those down to where it just barely comes out. Um, nice. Yeah. So we carb these up to about three volumes um, in the keg. Wow, yeah. that's yeah, significant. Um, so then bottle condition stuffs before volumes. Ah, flow control is the answer. Yeah, that's good, that's good stuff right there. Yeah, because we we also have clean beer up there as well. Um, 
which we carbonate to to two four to two seven depending on the beer. So we, you've got to be able to control control the flow on multiple different okay um, nice. carbonated beers. So yeah. it helps out a lot. So like, if uh, do you ever end up over uh, in the clean brewery? Yeah, um, uh, no, we don't let him right, go. No. Okay, yeah, yeah they just do they have to like spray you down? Yeah, with yeah. The shower. Yes, there's They've a decontamination uh, area for Eli. Actually, there uh, I might be going over there and cleaning some tanks. Uh, in August, because uh, we're going to have a couple guys out, so it's been a while, and they were giving me a hard time yesterday about having to remember how to be sanitary and everything like that. Has that like has that ever been a problem where something from here has ended up over there? Um, no, not really. I mean, there's a uh, we 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 years and years ago when we were brewing both here right. uh, on site. Um, there were some things that you know we think may have had some cross contamination mm. in the past, but since we've separated um, and we've learned so much, yeah. uh, it's a really haven't had a situation where we think something from the sour brewery infected the other. We, have, we just haven't had that happen. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So we've we've took. I mean, to the extreme of fully dedicating this facility and not yeah. having any sort of shared anything. And we, I mean, we've made the drive. It is a distance apart. They're not like next door, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about the out from the tap room. I mean, it's, it's like a two second walk. Or you mean to the brewery? To the to the yeah to the main brewery. Yeah. To the to the to the clean side brewery. The clean side brewery. Yeah. 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 We will we will send finished goods over there. So we ship yeah. we ship everything out of the other facility, okay. but we don't do any sort of shared like barrels or processing. Or and so it's, I mean, talking of barrels, we've got uh, uh, different ages of barrels in here. Are those are uh, are the barrels dedicated to a specific style or so yeah i mean we've been playing around a little more lately but basis is generally aged in all used wine barrels so that's our our base right. okay uh, and then uh bourbon barrels we age uh flanders red style um, okay. a couple different versions of that um we've got some tequila barrels as well um then we've got a oud brune that we age in used wine barrels as well but okay. um we've been playing with some of the more like the fresher wood characters uh, or fresher used uh, spirits as well. Um, but yeah, they just, uh, they're pretty much neutral when we get them. So uh, okay. we, we buy them from uh, either wineries or uh, a lot of times we'll use them over at our clean, clean side, the core brewery first, okay. like uh, for a Russian Imperial stout or a barley wine or something like that. Then we actually take them over here once we've uh, pulled out a lot of that uh, spirit character. So, Upcycling, upcycling. Yeah. So, so uh, n- never having brewed uh, lots of sour beer myself, but but having brewed some 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 clean beer, uh, I imagine that as I've accidentally brewed sour beer. That's before. not the same. Uh, that's, that's 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 very different. I I imagine that, uh, and I could be just wrong about this. I imagine there's more tasting involved with sour beer making. No, it's a lot of just letting it sit and wait, and not in, not touching, <laughs> not, it not touching it. No, yeah. you can definitely be Patience. impatient um, if you taste it too much. Um, you can, especially at home brewing. Um, you, if you're sampling with a thief, you can stick a thief in there too much. You just every time you do that, you add oxygen. Right. A lot of times, it's just best to put it back and put it in a corner and let it sit for a while and wait. So. Yeah, it's just so. so uh, you guys said you guys have like some six months. Like, what's the minimum amount of time that a beer that you make is is sitting in the fermenter? Um, yeah, probably about six months. Six is probably um, about yeah. Um, it's it's. Yeah, generally about six and months. Then is, is, I mean, is a six-month beer getting into the bottle by itself, or is that typically getting blended with something older? Usually blended, blended. Yeah. yeah. We'll blend it in and uh, or put it on fruit. Um, usually, When we put out, like, a basis by itself, it's usually right around a year. Um, 
So that's a, that's a pretty significant investment up front, right, where you know the first beer that's going to come out of here is going to be six months from the time that I actually start brewing it. So we, like, what is that process of deciding, okay, we're going to do this, we're making this investment, mm-hmm. we're going to wait those six months before we have anything turnover that we're actually selling? And how do we know that it's going to be good the first time out of the gate? You definitely never know. Okay. Um, because, yeah, it is a... It is a fermented product but uh, yeah yeah the, i'd say the scariest moment was when we were building this place so um we had uh probably a couple hundred barrels in our old kind of pulled barn that was unconditioned mm-hmm. and we had to move them oh um we tried to get the inventory down as low as, low as we could but you know moving or disturbing those barrels is not good um and so that was something that was very risky we were we were tasting the and now now when we sample it's different so we actually have a nail in the bottom of the barrel or toward the bottom of the head of the barrel mm. so that we can sample it and not add any oxygen. So we, we do sample more frequently than you probably should if you're going through the top. Right. Um, but um, it, is a, it is a really tough thing, and we felt pretty confident that once we got this facility and we had temperature control that we feel pretty good about knowing what the beer is going to do. And it's, it, we've been practicing this. We've been using the, a very similar, if not the exact process since probably 07, 08. We've, okay. we've been very consistent. And this is one of those things that, you know, we, we do the same process every time the beer does fluctuate, but it's, we, we've found it to be very predictable. Now mm-hmm. um, there are still going to be some barrels that go the wrong direction and we have to dump them or, um, blend or do something like right. that. Um, but we've been pretty diligent about uh, being really consistent about our process. And so, and Eli's done a great job. And as we've learned, uh, when we transfer beer, when we're, we're managing oxygen, all those things have really helped with consistency. So we, it's, we know now having done it for so many years that it's pretty low risk that, you know, we're going to brew a beer and, and, you know, 98, 99% yeah. chance, like we're going to have sellable beer there is um, the portion that goes out for the homies. Yeah. Yeah. But that's always, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, in the, it's in the budget. This is the yeah. homies portion. Yeah, we yeah. haven't dumped, we've hardly dumped any barrels recently. I did, yeah. we did have to dump uh, two this week, but they were two years old, and it was on the same rack, and something, something must have just happened to that. It, it, it was interesting. So. Yeah. Bad, but, bad but, peaches, but, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, you know, f- you know, five, six years ago, uh, if you look at how many barrels we dumped, it was it was a much bigger number. Yeah, you know, we we did get some, and when I, when we say you know a beer goes bad, like we're talking like vinegar, like right. uh, the acetic uh, acid took over and Cetobacter was some sort of infection, and you know we're making malt vinegar. That's not mm-hmm. good for sour beer. No. So um, so that's where you know, or there could be really uh, aggressive sulfur. Um, right. There's other off flavors that we're just like you know that's absolutely not worth blending um we don't want to touch of that we don't want a bit of that blended with anything else right um so if uh and, and we don't really have too many barrels now to show people what that means but you yeah. know like i said five eight years ago we, had, we i remember we had a barrel that was uh a seven-year-old barrel that was half full and it was really bad like just really but we kept it uh 
to taste and show people like this is what bad is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is not what we would blend. Uh, we we have since dumped those. I believe like yeah. a couple years ago. We oh yeah, up. we got rid of. Them. Oh we no, I was going to ask for some. I want to know. Sorry, like, I actually guys. do have uh, two vinegar barrels right now that have ah, turned to vinegar. Go. We had right. some bungs pop out that we didn't know for an extended period of time. There you go. And yeah, we uh, they've turned to vinegar for sure. So nice. it's actually our Flanders red. So um, yeah, yeah, Flanders so, red so vinegar. Yeah, that's yeah. a big part of the, the process. I mean. We, we did make the investment, and it's part of, you know, a lot of times we get asked about, like, why are sour beers so expensive? Yeah. And it, well, takes a really long time to make. Um, it's very labor-intensive, um, and we do have to dump, we plan to dump beer. That's a cost. The fruits we use are very expensive. That's a pretty high cost. And so that's that's all, all of those things. You keep adding them up, and that's why, you know, sour beer is priced a little bit more, is uh, all the work and effort and... You know, we, you know, this is like kind of the highest art form for us. Like this is, it's some of the hardest beers to make. Uh, they're extremely complex. They take a really long time, a lot of patience. Uh, you can, I mean, we do kettle sours. Those will take you a couple of weeks to make. Right. Um, they're not nearly as, they don't have nearly as much layered complexity as this beer does. Um, but those are priced, you know, similarly to other beer. Right. Um, yeah, this is just a, a totally different category. Well, I, I think the, the price point thing is is interesting, and I, I think what, uh, from my observation, what one of the things that Upland does a, a nice job of is if you guys have sour beers at several different price points. Mm-hmm. So, so it's not like if I want you know to get a hold of your, you know, your sour beer, I have to spend thirty dollars on a bottle of beer, but I can. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, so, can you talk about walking people into the value proposition there and saying, hey? This 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 thirty dollar beer is worth your your time and your money and to you to drink it slowly and enjoy it. Yeah, I mean the like I was just saying saying with the fruit character, you know, some of the fruiting rates that we use, um, it's like a, a, a full pound of fruit in a seven fifty ml bottle. Right. Um, and wow, so that's... yeah, so it's it's and the fr- the fruit component is very expensive. You know, when you look at, especially we're using locally sourced fruits or fruits that take a lot of processing, uh, a lot of labor to process. Um, like Eli was saying, those peaches, we are hand cutting every one of those. We have right. an army of people yeah. cutting them. Um, and so for us, that's, I mean, that's part of our craft. You know, it's, it, and we feel that the beer tastes way better when you're using whole fresh fruit and you use the skins and, the amount of complexity you get, um, when I say like layered complexity, I mean there's lots of different kinds of acids that are being produced. There's fruit flavor. You can you can taste a little bit of malt. Not Unless we dry hop it, you're not going to get a bitterness or a lot of hop character. Um, we do make dry hop sours, and we will add hops. But um, where we think the value comes in is the presentation of the beer, the, the complexity of the beer. Um, we use a really um, beautiful uh, label that's uh, basically we have seven different um, original art pieces that yeah. we'll use um, by this artist named Michael China. Um, so it's the whole experience that you get with this kind of a beer is so different. And so that's where we see value. You know, we want the bottle, the experience you have here at the woodshop or anywhere you're experiencing Upland Sours. Um, that is um, where we see it's just so much more value than, um, you know, a lot of other kinds of beers. Um, right. And, and, you know, we like to think that, you know the quality and the time and the effort that we put into it also speaks for itself. There. Well, and I think from my, from my perspective, I'm trying to 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 work into a place where, like, hey, okay, what I spend twenty five dollars on a bottle of wine. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people do that, but so so I'm going to spend twenty five dollars on something that, that that Eli has taken the same amount of care that someone took with with that wine. 
uh, to put to put that flavor in the glass. Yeah, and I mean, these are are generally beers you're not going to go buy a six pack and crush in a couple hours while you're be, floating on a boat. So that would be ambitious. <laughs> Although I, I have seen people drinking oh, yeah. a full bottle of 750. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I you, would not recommend that. You spend $30 <laughs> on a bottle of wine, you're generally going to take it to somewhere and split it with some friends and talk about it and just en- enjoy it like you would a, a bottle of wine. So yeah. It was, there was the, the first time I had an Upland Sour was actually at like the, it was at the Broad Ripple Tap Room. Oh, okay. Um, and it was a friend of mine I hadn't seen in over a decade. And it was one of those like magical experiences where you're like, uh, should I really be hanging out? I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but then it's just like old friends getting together, having something delicious, um, sharing story. Like it was just such everything paired with the beer was amazing. It was a totally worth the price of admission yeah, to get great. there. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a it, it's just a tough sell to go from like the mindset of. You know, can I get a ten dollars six pack, yeah. uh, or can I can I have this this kind of different experience? And then it's also like a different flavor experience. I mean, for me personally, like the uh, the high acidic beers were were a tough sell for me for a while. Mm, yeah. uh, and then, like the more you drink them, the more you kind of acquire the the taste for them, and you can kind of like like I think it's interesting. You talked about how this has different layer, layers of acidity. I think it does the thing on the side of your tongue. It does the thing on the top of your tongue. Yeah. It does it does different it does different things. Yeah, and I think um, you know when you're um, Thinking about the um, when your your first sour you ever have, I mm-hmm. guess uh, you know we do make like you were saying um, lots of different price points. Right. So we would like to introduce like our tart beers, our two of tarts, our pedal to the kettle, uh, modern tart. Um, those are such a great introduction to those flavors that um, and and we find people like they they'll gravitate to that. Um, and this is kind of like. Uh, that's maybe like high school level. This is right. more college level, yeah. um, where you can really start to appreciate um, the nuance. And that's it is is very much like wine in that respect, where there's there's all these nuance flavors that you know, you know. And a lot of our beers, like our Pilsner, um, like we drank yeah. on the last show, right. it's, it's very you know. There's a lot of there's a lot going on there, but you know, we are trying to keep it very clean and crisp and uh, yeah. very singular. Um, this will change as you're drinking it, as it warms up. Right. Um, the experience. It's, I'd love to hear that story. Actually, yeah. that's like that's what that's why we do what we do. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's it, sort of the magic of beer. Yeah. Really is, but just the magic of because uh, it was something. It was unusual to be drinking it, and it was so good, and the experience was so good. Location was lovely. It was just it was a good time. Cool. Nice. Very cool. So I, I think. Eli, I think one of the things I wanted to, to kind of ask you is, like, you have these different levels, even here at Upland, that you make, where you have, you, you mentioned the, the kettle sours. Actually, you don't make those on the clean side. Yeah, right. um, and then you guys have some of the younger beers and then some of your, your really high-end beers where they're either in a barrel really long or they have higher fruiting levels or 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 whatever. Can you, can you talk about, like, is there a level where you get really excited to make beer or is it all kind of exciting to you? No, I mean, I definitely like the uh the fruiting part for sure um like dealing with the fruits and things like that like this week peaches i we've been just slammed this week uh but it is my one of my favorite things is just getting in a circle with people um and sitting around and just talking and having a good time and processing fruit um using whole fruit using local fruit is definitely one of my favorite aspects it's not just for us it's also helping the community out around us like we get um a lot of fruits locally um and so it like we've got a, uh, we get our strawberries from just down the road. We get our blackberries from here. Um, we get 
uh, cherries from Michigan. Um, but like, for example, like the peach boxes, um, that we'll, we're pulling the peaches out of, we're actually giving those to one of our farmers. So she will like reuse them. And it's just, uh, yeah, the whole, whole part about building the, the community on here, uh, with the, so another thing I think is interesting is this beer, uh, this peach, the peach is on tap here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was we talked about pouring it on tap. Uh, are, are there some of the beers that you guys brew that uh, that don't make it to the tap that are just in bottles, or um, or do you guys is everything not you guys really make? anymore? We used to. Um, there's some stuff. There's a lot of limited releases. So we've got a, a membership program called the Secret Barrel Society um, that we do. It's not um, secret anymore, right? It's not secret. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. Um, those batches are really fun because they're small batches, so it's kind of like our our, our way of trialing new bat, new okay. things. So um, usually they're just one or two barrels. Whether or not that's uh, we'll buy like a a special like a, a spirit barrel or something like that, age something in there, uh, uh, then uh, release it to the membership only, or we'll be able to have some of it on draft here at the wood shop. Um, it's the only place you can get it um, is if you are a member or if you come here to one of our locations. Um, it's those are definitely fun we've actually been doing some stuff as well with some like local restaurants um nice. like one for example uh out in boston there's a restaurant called uh row 34 they're uh big on uh their big beer bar uh do really uh, seafood really well a lot of oysters things like that and they approached us and wanted to do a preserved meyer lemon beer um and mm. we had never done anything like that and um it was fu- it was really fun um so we just took Meyer lemons, uh, cut them up, salted them, um, and then aged them for a while until they kind of become translucent. Uh, then we'd take them and put them into a uh, tequila barrel and age them on the our, our base. Um, um, package it up, and it's only out there at their location. So um, those are always always really fun to do. I think that's really that's really interesting when you talk about how like a beer comes together like that. You know, on the clean side, they can just throw five gallon batches in the Sapco, and then four or five, and six weeks later, they can taste yeah. that and figure out what they're doing. Like, how, how do you kind of approach the challenge of not being able to understand if something was successful for six months to four years? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely definitely a hard part. Um, like when you we we still do Sapco batches for stuff. Like if we're trying a new recipe, but a lot of the times, like you're kind of doing it for uh, like color and malt like the malt profile you don't know exactly how it's going to you're not going to be able to put it into a little a, a carboy and let it sit for two years and expect that to be the same whenever you brew 30 30 barrels of it and put mm. it into uh, to wood or yeah to 15 uh, in, in individual barrels um but you definitely can you kind of know what what you can expect uh just by brewing small batches um what? and the longer you do it the 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 better you get at it as well. So, and I, I think another interesting thing with with sours, you, you guys are doing so much with the beer after it goes into the fermenter that that I, I feel like it might be easy to lose track of the wort. So, how much of your time gets is is put into designing wort that makes great beer, or do you guys have like a consistent wort that you use? We we mainly make one beer here, so it's what we call basis. So that's what's in all the fooders here, um, and a lot of the barrels, and we just blend the that beer uh, okay. with different ages, with different years, um, and then put it on different fruits. Um, yeah, that's the main one we do. So, yeah, and a lot of the innovation, you know, knowing. Um, what to expect. So um, if we're going to make a new beer or collaborate with somebody, you know, we will always try to utilize processes that we know will work. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we try to do is not, let's not try three or four new things. 
let's do these two that we know are pretty confident in and these two other ones that might be a little bit different and we, we do it does, so this whole brewery it's a very different completely different process for like r&d where it takes us a lot longer to make lots of changes right. uh, because it's kind of step by step by step uh, like the Meyer Lemon project was like we know that aging it on there uh, we knew we could blend uh, we didn't know what the salinity would look, taste like mm-hmm. we didn't know about this how much citrus there'd be but we knew we're, we have another um, base beer that we're going to blend with it so right. we know that we're going to get something good but we have some options um, and that's a lot of how we innovate over here um, and we don't innovate as much on the base beer recipes we probably have three to four in the cellar at any given time right. of base beers but that's not where all, a lot of the innovation happens it's all like you were saying uh, after brewing how do we want to we may we may age it on a different mixed culture right. and see what that does and we'll again that's one we'll like if we want to try something different we'll pick three or four four different barrels and we'll see how they turn out before we decide to do a big batch of it right. so it's it's just a very long process i mean elon and yeah, i were just talking today about you know, what are we doing in 2021 <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean seriously i mean that, and, that, and that's why we mean it, it's it's like a winery so we just met with um um dennis the the head winemaker up at oliver like what grapes he's got coming in this year and you know like, well we could do these this year and then maybe we can do something in 2021 and so that's it's it's a much long i just that's my point it's a yeah. much longer innovation process whereas over there you know two three weeks you got something you can tasting to go so it takes a lot of planning um a lot of long-term kind of projections um and, and we just we don't make as much of this beer like we were, yeah, so you're talking right. about consumption and like you, you know you don't drink a whole uh, uh 750 by yourself typically yeah. i was finished uh, with my beer at, i was finished with that pilsner like 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. into the last show but yeah uh, but we're doing small slower, much yeah. smaller quantities and, and and that sort of thing so, so uh, before we hit the break, can you talk about like? So I think it's kind of cool how this innovation like takes takes time and it takes energy and like y- you do this every day. There's lots of different things you've tried. Like what's sitting over there in those barrels that you're really excited to try? Um, so right now, Preservato is a new one that we just did. Um, and uh, we so it, it kind of came off that whole preserved Meyer lemon thing. We okay. liked that beer a lot, so we. Uh, decided to try something else, so we got uh, limes and grapefruits, preserved those, um, and then aged it on uh, even a more intense tequila uh, okay. barrel yes. uh, profile, and then we uh, infuse it with tangerine zest right at the very uh, end of it. And um, so it's it's got this high salinity. Um, that's I don't know. It's it's just it's a, one of the most interesting beers we've made for sure um it kind of reminds me like the bottom of a margarita glass whenever you've got a nice. little, like a little bit of extra salt in there and, um i'm okay with this yeah, yeah. bottom and of again the that, that that initial batch we did was like two years ago yeah. right and so we're just now starting to see some more variations or more innovation on that um and so yeah that beer is going to be uh released we're packaging it in a couple weeks and into august yeah so, so like in, the, in the fall maybe. Yeah. it'll be out for people to but get yeah that, so yeah. that one started out we did we've done one other batch of that before and it started out as our for an sbs only uh beer so um it got it was well received and so we decided to scale that one up and do nice. a, do a bigger batch so we uh me and nicholas here the uh one the other guy who works like day to day in the the wood shop here um we spent I don't know, like a week uh, cutting up 800 pounds of limes and salting them, uh, then 400 pounds of grapefruit and salting them. And, yeah, so uh, so Patrick on the clean side has a pretty has a pretty clear process. Like he's got he got four or five guys. They do sometimes they do big brew days where they're going 24 hours or whatever. Like 
you seem to have more of a process where you're cutting fruit and then maybe like how how many days a week do you brew Oh, not very often. I mean, we brew probably 50 times a year or something like that. So So those are a little less than once a week. Yeah. And that's usually in, in lumps too. So we'll, we'll, we'll spend a lot of time, uh, like blending, uh, fruiting, uh, then Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll take a break from that for a while. And what that means we'll be packaging, uh, doing barrel management, stuff like that. Then once we empty those barrels or the food barrels and fooders, we will do a big push where I'll brew for like two weeks straight. Um, get get everything full, and then it kind of starts back over again. Sweet. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely nice. Uh, I like it that way. It keeps fre- it keeps it fresh, and you're constantly doing something else. So like this week, I mean, I've, we bottled this week, uh, transferred out a bunch of barrels. Um, we've done a bunch of blending. Um, we even we brewed some kombucha today, actually. Um, nice. So yeah, it's just a little bit of everything here and there. So um, yeah. obviously, cutting up fruit. It is a it's fruit seed. It's starting to become fruit season for sure. So we're dealing a lot with that, and that's probably why I'll talk a lot about that, just because it's what's in my mind for yeah, sure. Right yeah, absolutely. Now. We'll talk a little more about fruit after the break. Everybody has a different pH of yeah. your mouth, right? right? So once your pH gets aligned with this, yeah. it doesn't seem as overwhelming, uh, right? Yeah, like contrasting. But even still, it's still pretty. You know, that's probably one of the more acidic beers. Uh, raspberry is very acidic. Yeah. The, the fruit, I like the, the fruit contributes a lot yeah. of acidity. Kiwi. Kiwi is the most. Yeah. <laughs> I've not so, had the kiwi. So the the, the peach beer was. I, I, but I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And first yeah. of all, they're, after I get past the acidity, it's so crisp and it's so mm-hmm. clean. Uh, but then this is like my speed. Oh, good. Like some white grapes. Good. I, didn't well, know what, I couldn't tell what it was until you told me. The, the, the interesting thing to me with the peach was it, as it as it started to warm up, like that last, like, you're going to take it away. Oh, I should have a little <laughs> more. Like I finally, started get, I, I finally started to get some of the base malt character out mm. of it that I hadn't really experienced up until that point. So it was a very interesting journey through that beer mm. that was was lovely. Mm-hmm. I like the whole ride. Cool. Nice. So, so as you guys are, we're not going to do the welcome back thing. I'm not going to use all that. It was really fun. Oh. Uh, welcome oh. back to Aaron not doing things. Yeah, it's just going to pop off after the music and everyone's going to be fine. It'll be whatever. <laughs> this will be after that. People will know that we have not done an opening. Yeah. At this point. Um, so I, I, I think... Therefore, as, as I kind of talk through like my experience of tasting beers and sort of learning to appreciate the the, the sour the sour styles, like how, how do you, do you get a chance to like hang out in the tap room and walk people through that as well? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do tours over here and quite a, quite often, and we get groups of people in all the time that will sit here and we'll just taste together and uh, have a, have a few beers and sit down and talk about it and. Um, yeah, just get pretty in depth in what they like, what I like, and uh, I mean everybody has their their own. I mean obviously on their own palate, so uh, we all perceive things differently, and everybody likes different things. And which is the fun part about this is and, and beer in general. That's what there's so many right. different beer styles out there mm-hmm. because there's so many different uh, t- uh, people who like so many different things. Um, but yeah, like the acidity, I I, I tend to like hot, high acidity. Right. Um, so compared to uh, quite, there's quite a few other people that like other things that are 
lower acidity things here like uh our innovation guy matt uh wisely he what he calls uh sour i would call lightly tart so right (laughs) (laughs) so Uh, one of the things that that happens when people because you're you're putting like fresh fruit in beer and that there's lots of yeast and on 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 fruit there's lots of things that could be on fruit there's some unpredictability there you talked about the stability of your process there's uh, i imagine that's a a great challenge to be introducing willingly things that might change the character of your beer how do you guys deal with like fruit from year to year and trying to keep consistency i mean that that's one of the things about these beers is they will change year to year we're we're not trying to exactly recreate the same beer over and over again um but we do we always try to get we get ripe fruit um for sure um but we can blend to match to get what um, you yeah, need exactly. To get, yeah. So we we do like total acidity tests here, things like that. Um, so we we can go to a, a to a certain acidity, but generally it is to taste. So we we get a group together and we we sit down and taste it. And I suppose um, I, I mean maybe there's a little there's more pressure in, in making sure that the beer six months later or twelve months later tastes good, but less pressure in that you get to really create the flavor that you want. It doesn't have to be, you know. Patrick, when he's making champagne velvet, the damn stuff needs to taste like champagne yeah, velvet. Sure. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Another, another thing that we'll do is, through experience, knowing a- acid contribution from a certain fruit, we can also select base beer. So, for example, if kiwi, we know, we've learned kiwi is highly acidic on its own, so we will select some base that's maybe not as acidic because we know we're going to get... It. There may be variation in how that will taste, but we know we're going to get acidity there, so we'll go with lower, lower base beer. Um, and making sure year over year we are we are getting a consistent blend of the base, so that if the ver- there is variation in the fruit, that's what's being expressed, you know. Right. And so and then we love that aspect of it. Um, you know, we've seen variation in flavor from uh, strawberries for- sourced from different areas, um, right. different harvested different weeks. Like yeah. they can right. be from the same place but picked a week later because we got a bunch of rain and it's mm-hmm. quite a bit quite different. different. Yeah. Well, I, I think in the in the beer world, just because I think a lot of times when you're tasting beer, you run into like a lack of vocabulary because mm-hmm. uh, there's not a huge like in wine. There's like, oh, there's so many different things, and what's interesting is I feel like you can make so many different types of beer. There's more types of beer than there are types of wine by 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 measures and measures, but there's not as much language around beer. So sour and funk get mixed up together a lot, mm-hmm. and I think when I taste at least the beers that I tasted from a plant, I don't know if you guys have funk but the stuff i've tasted it's sour but not funky so how do you how do you kind of is that intentional or are there things you do where you're trying to to bring in some of the funk as well or yeah no i mean we definitely uh, they can be funky for sure at times um but we i i tend to like them whenever the funk kind of starts to go away a little bit and just the sour this Mm -hmm. sour and the acidity really like shows through and a lot of the fruit character comes through not fruit that we've added but like the Whenever we basis ages for say eight months to to a year, it really starts to develop this nice apple like pear character. Um, some of the funkiness goes away, um, but yeah, we can we do get batches that are more funky than other, and we can blend those in. Okay. Um, yeah. To if we want something that's got a little more funk in it, um, yeah, and, th- and a lot of that goes back to our mixed culture too. So um, Britannomyces and some of those wild yeast that produce some of those more barnyard cheesy goaty you know horse blanket flavors are more prominent you know ours our mixed culture is uh more prominent with lactic acid or that tartness right. so um but we have done beers uh, yeah, we sure. we've used a higher level of brett uh, to express some of those other flavors and so we just most of what we do we like our our kind of home our house uh, based culture right that is uh much more lactic than um 
like so more, more is sour than Patrick funky. is buying Y East London Ale to make to make the IPA. You guys are using something you guys reproduce in house to keep yeah. generation to generation. Yeah, like like uh, Leo, I was talking about that Solera. We're not repitching anything into that. Right. It's just continuing to go. But we will bring in a mixed culture that we know exactly what's in there and pitch that directly into um, our fooders um, as we're brewing. So we have consistency batch over batch in the. The uh, microflora in that barrel is kind of continuing to repopulate, and um, the thing that with our cellar is really interesting is we, you know, at one point we actually had each fooder tested and some certain barrels tested and actually sequenced, sure. so we could see everything that was in there, mm-hmm. um, and that was a really fun project. We worked with the microbiologist here at IU, nice, um, and you know when we sampled a, or sequenced a barrel that had fruit in it, it had a ton more stuff going on in there than you know just a fooder that we know exactly what we pitched into it so part of our you know what's i don't think anyone will ever be able to reproduce um is our you know our mixed culture that's living in our brewery yeah because of the fruits we've added and all these other things we've done it's it's not reproducible by anybody i you know by anybody else really um not unless they start a brewery and then 20 years later after (laughs) yeah yeah, people clean the fooders every time yeah i mean like when we get in and clean fooders we just spray them out with water like we don't there's no intensive uh harsh chemicals or anything like that used we just rinse them out break break down try to get some of the croissant off the top and stuff like that and then close it back up and put the next batch in it so if i was Go ahead. Well, there's, a, there's that old wide term that is like a sense of place, right? And in this case, it's a sense of fooder. Yeah, there <laughs> sense of barrel, sense yeah. of wood. Yes, a sense yeah, of wood. Sense of wood. <laughs> so Jason is very observant. Uh, uh, and so as we walked in, uh, he did notice one of the things you guys try to do to keep even your sour brewery clean. Yeah. Oh, no. Carnivorous plants yeah. up front. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, fruit flies love beer and this place for sure um so yeah we try to do as much as we can and one way to do it is to feed some plants yeah um, it was uh it was it was nice yeah aaron is uh aaron are you tap on tapping yeah we're tap on tapping you 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 keep the conversation going while i figure it out all right i'll do my best we we've talked a lot uh on the periphery about blending beer but i actually don't know what that process looks like what is the what is the outcome of the blend? Is it several batches and this batch tastes like this and this batch tastes like that? Or is it one giant batch and there is some uh, beer that's left over that couldn't be used because if it was added in, it doesn't reach the right acidity? Yeah, so we generally will we'll sit down uh, kind of I mean, depending on what we're what it's going into. Yeah. Um, but we will... We'll know kind of what we want in mind. Uh, then, we, since we sample quite often, mm-hmm. uh, well, quite often every uh, once a month or something like that, uh, yeah. we kind of know what are in the fooders and what's in the barrels, so we we can uh, pull from each of them. And uh, then we'll just sit there and blend in different cups and okay. find out what we like. Okay. Um, and just it's usually done with sensory first, and then once we come up with a blend, that's when we'll start like testing for total acidity, things like that. Okay. Um, most of it's all done sen- just sensory in the at the beginning. So, does it is the net result? Are there like leftover parts that you that couldn't go into yeah, the so, final product? So, say we start to drain a food, or we want pull like eighty percent off a fooder. Yeah. Um, the last twenty percent. Luckily, we've got enough barrels. We can always just throw that last twenty percent into barrels. Okay. Uh, then either continue to age that for a little bit longer. Um, then that can go. 
that can go for a few few more months and they yeah. change things change quite differently in the barrel than they do in the food there's a lot more surface area um so you get a little bit more oxygen like that micro oxidation back mm-hmm. and forth um and uh they drop a bit clearer um and it, barrel barrels taste quite a bit different than the actual stuff in the fooder it takes a lot longer for things to age in the fooder than it does in a barrel so once it goes into the barrel then it just eventually makes its way back into the main the brew okay it, yeah well, so then, nothing is fucked here dude yeah no we, we yeah we use pretty much everything yeah i mean okay. everything except for those random barrels that something could have happened uh luckily knock on wood we've never had a food or batch that we've right yeah, yeah okay. where's that there's there's the woodhouse this is the wood shop yeah so yeah eli talked about oxidation which i think is an interesting yeah. thing to mention because you know we all know making regular beer or you know ales and lagers ox- oxygen's bad oxygen's bad but the reason why we called this facility the wood shop, mm-hmm. the reason why we uh, ferment all these beers in wood is for a very slow egress of oxygen into this fermentation. So just a little bit at a time, um, these bugs live inside the wood, and the staves allow just a little bit in at a time. And that's really great for this fermentation. Uh, when we start to empty a barrel, um, and that's what we were talking about earlier with consistency and and getting better quality, we're still managing oxygen yeah. um, because too much oxygen, too fast, that's when we get vinegar. That's when we get these off flavors. Um, and so it's something that, you know, when we're doing transferring, when we're doing blending, we're always having to keep that in mind. Um, and it's a lot of, that's a lot of how we, you know, we've learned that over the years and it's how we transfer beer at the other brewery. You know, we will put a CO2 blanket inside of that fooder mm-hmm. uh, to make sure that we're not introducing too much oxygen and, and things like that. Um, because, um, again, it's not that it's, uh, you, you can't really take too many shortcuts just because you're making sour beer. Right. Um, there's still a lot of, uh, details and management and that, and again, that's something we learned. That is not something we knew 10 years ago. That's something that over years of, um, seeing what happens and, you know, Eli brought a lot of that to this brewery when we brought him from, you know, the other brewery over to here, he brought a lot of great stuff that has really helped the quality and um it's just enough a different way of thinking a little bit because uh, oftentimes you think oh you know these last forever in the bottle or it's it's already infected you can just right. do whatever it's like well that's that's just not the case <laughs> right well, it's, it's, it's sort of like it's a it's like a an amount of control that you still like you have some control even though you're giving up some control to the natural processes that yes are, are different yeah that's yeah, a great sure. way to that's a great way to think about it yeah yeah oxygen yeah we definitely purge everything i mean we keep oxygen out just like it would be any other beer um but with the wood it's naturally going to let some in over time so yeah. right and, it, and that's that's it, it kind of gives it some of that but it's not like you know oxidized beer is oxidized beer. Oh. For what, it's not what we're drinking right now. No, not yeah. right. It yeah. does not taste that way. Yeah, not at all. So you guys ready for some uh, t- some tap on tap? That sounds good. I guess so. so. <laughs> this is uh, this is Pete's second run. I think yeah. The first run was uh, did not do good on the first no. run. Nobody, nobody, did, like, nobody I'm was counting on you. Oh, yeah. Counting on you. It's, it's a shoot win. game. So we're sticking again. We're sticking again in Indiana. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, so uh, Corey had this beer and he he bought it at the Louisville beer store. Really, I did not know the beer going into this. Uh, um, but I just it. I just looked at what Aaron has in Louisville. All right, the Louisville beer store doesn't necessarily mean it's in Louisville. No, it's okay. But hold <laughs> I mean, on. I what do we know about the brewery? Let's let's give some ground information. What do we know about the brewery? Uh, what I don't give. It's in Indiana. It's in Indiana. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an in Indiana. Indiana brewery. Right. Good, but not my thing. A bit too bitter at the end. Otherwise, a tad funky in a good way. Three bottle caps. Had it on draft. 
So uh, this person, uh, that's all we get. <laughs> no, no, you get three. You get three reviews of the same beer. Okay. Uh, you get three reviews of the same beer. Uh, this is Corey Louisville Beer Store. It's, it's a stupid game. Uh, <laughs> we mostly have fun with it. Uh, he earned the New Brewery Thursday Level Fifty Three badge. Level Fifty Three. So he's, he's he's a hell of a drinker. New Brewery. Sure. New Brewery Thursday. I think that means New Brewery for him. Oh yeah. I don't know the badges. He earned the Verified <laughs> Adventure badge. The what? The Verified Adventure badge? I don't know what that is. Oh, he's a boy scout. Right, that's what I said. He earned the Riding Steady level 9 badge and the Wheel of Styles level 19 badge. Alright. He, he earned a lot of badges. Thanks for one. drinking beer, Corey. Oh. Yeah. It's Grab beer. It was July 11th. Of this year. Um, Mike B. Uh, I can't tell you where he uh, drank this beer because he drank it at the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gave it four bottle caps and he's... <laughs> I didn't curate this list this time. I'm just reading them live. He says, I like my beer how I like my women. Oh, uh, oh, that's really that helpful. Yeah. Um, that's I'm all assuming, he said? I'm assuming. That's all he said. Four <laughs> bottle caps. He didn't earn any badges. I'm uh, guessing, given the last comment, so he means funky. funky. Right. He, he means might, funky. He might, but I don't know what Mike likes. And really, or, I would say funky. Yeah. yeah. Bitter, bitter and funky. Well, I mean, maybe he's drinking a thoughtful and caring beer, and that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, he, that's what he's looking for. Uh, that's that's good stuff. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Is Sorry. that all we get, man? You get one more. You get one more. Um, Nathan F. Uh, he's drinking. He also drank it at the brewery. So he drank it out of a can, though. He drank it. He bought a can at the brewery. Can. Uh, he gave it a, a two point seven five, two point seven five bottle caps at the brewery. Wow, um, spitting in the brewery. What, what's interesting, and you know, we I try my best not to make fun of the people on Untapped. What he says, but you're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> I'm do it. He says slightly sour. And then he says very drinkable, and uh, he says very drinkable, and then he gives it two point seven five bottle caps. Like what the fuck? Like if it's very drinkable, <laughs> then what the? Two point seven five is not a good rating. Anyway, badges? No badges? No. Ba- uh, he earned the Brewery Pioneer Level Fourteen badge and the Wheel of Styles badge. So apparently, people are getting the Wheel of Styles badge with okay. this beer. All right. Yeah, I think we'll do one more. Uh, uh, Robin K says it was a little too foamy. <laughs> it was a little too foamy, and she earned the Cheers to Independent U.S. Craft Breweries Level Thirty Five badge. All right. All right. So Honestly, funky. I know I, I know what the beer is, and this is, this is a tough one. But the nice thing is, it's an Indiana Aaron, beer, and there's not a lot of people making funky. Aaron, beer, I've, so. I've drank this beer several times. Style. I know what the style is. I've I've no clue. Oh, okay. I'm gonna guess the style. Are you wanna go to sidebar? Just sidebar. You said sidebar into the microphone. Foamy, funky. Is it a saison? That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, for sure. But. Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, no. so the rule of the game is that, that we go by the style that the brewery calls it. Okay. Okay. So um, <sighs> bitter. It was bitter. I, I feel uh, like this one's a this one's a tough one because I I, I feel like the only this is person way tougher than the last one. Yeah, yeah. The only person. <laughs> so I, I picked a I picked obviously a sour beer because it's a sour episode. It's whatever. Uh, it's not like a sour beer. It it's is, more, it's it more is, of a funky yeah. beer. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll give a hint because the I I think the only person who has a style of beer that's this style is this guy, like. So no no one else has a beer like you're not you're not you're not in the beer section and you're like oh here's that style of beer and there's the three choices there's only one choice it's this one um, so uh, but I, I I'll just give a hint the the brewer of this beer is brewing this beer with his house culture it's very distinctly his it doesn't taste like anybody else's I think there's there are three brewers there <laughs> there there what he's so not is the it only brewer. Is it a central state beer? It's definitely a central state yeah, beer. All right, all right, all right. So one point, one point. All right, we got that a is point. A point. It's brewery. better than we did last time. Yeah. You uh, got a half point last time. <laughs> so is it there? There's the, the 
I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, funky and bitter. Funky and bitter. And foamy. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> is, it their house, is it their house beer? Could be. I don't know. You I know what their house beer is called? I don't. I do not know. House beer. <laughs> What's interesting? It used to be. It used to be called House Beer. Oh, really? That's what I thought. He renamed it. Oh, oh, okay. He renamed it. Yeah. So half pointing it. So one and a half points because it used to be called <laughs> House Beer. <laughs> 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> um, it's a it's a rustic blonde is how he calls it. A okay, rustic blonde gotcha. ale. I, gotta, I can't keep up with Josh. He's always yeah. Doing something ru- there. Rustic blonde ale is the style of the beer. So I, I can't. That's that's really right, fair. That's right. uh, and it's now called Table Table Beer. Oh right. I, I table didn't, beer. I didn't know that. I, I had so no, I had no idea what style that was supposed a to be. A rustic blonde. I've had it more than a few times. I've really tried. So. But Josh really convinced me. I don't know if you guys. So I, like when I we interviewed Josh on the on the show a few episodes back, uh, and, and he really encouraged me. He didn't actually like. He wasn't trying to pressure me, but our conversation encouraged me. They to, arm wrestle to get more into in wild beers and to try to like expand my palate. So uh, that 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 was exciting and fun. I've tried to like table. It's fair. I mean, I think a lot of people do like it, and it's a, it, it, it's. I, I wouldn't say it's a bad beer. It's just not a beer for me, but. Uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, way it's to way to trash way to trash no, people I, on the show. Look, <laughs> I, I think Josh is, but no, it's fair. Like, you know what? Uh, if you want me to like reverse trash, like he made a beer called Coffee Nephilim. Do you guys know about Coffee Nephilim? Oh, oh my god! Oh. It <laughs> it's like it's like a it's oh, it's, it's so, so it's good. so good. It's it's like twelve percent. It's yeah. I mean, yeah. It's another it's another sipper, but uh, I didn't sip it, and then that was the problem. It was very <laughs> very good. Anyway, uh, yeah. So table beer was was the right. name of the game. Yeah. All right. Have you guys had table? Can you speak more kindly of it I've than I did? Never had table. I uh, I remember Josh brought it to our Sour Wild Funk Fest. Yeah. Uh, my first time trying it was a couple of years ago. Everybody, uh, the festival was used to be at the city market. And oh, okay. we were out, we were outside under a we had a tent inside and outside. And it was torrentially pouring down rain, like torrentially. So everybody at the festival was under the tent with all the brewers. It was body to body. Everyone's soaking wet. And uh, that's when I first tried the. It was called house beer at the yeah, first time. Like, oh, you know, I had a great time, and uh, it was good. It was really good, yeah. and uh, that was a very fond memory. It's kind of one of those experiences you were talking about. Yeah. Like, it was just like people were bumping into each other. You couldn't tell who was a brewery. Couldn't who couldn't tell who was supposed to be behind the bar. Or like, whatever, <laughs> just have a good time because uh, we were all soaking, soaking wet. Soaking. Yeah. But uh, now we have our Sour Funk Fest uh, all indoors yeah. <laughs> for that reason. And it hasn't rained since. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's absolutely true. It has not rained since we brought it inside. That's uh, isn't, isn't that the way. Yeah, yeah. So can, uh, I think before we move on to, to kind of the, the final wrap-up questions, we will uh, ask our favorite question of the show, which is Jason's uh, off-the-wall question. You guys ready for this? That's how we always start to... It's, it's not actually <laughs> the question. Yeah, no, that it. What if? What, hold on. What if the awful question was? Are you ready for? Are this? you guys ready for this? I actually, um, I, I drove down here with Aaron. Right. So we the I drove north. Well, okay. I, I rode along with Aaron, and as we were driving through um, Indianapolis, we we uh, chanced upon a part of Indianapolis that we had never been to before on the south side, where there were a great deal of greenhouses plants just growing all over the place um and aaron pointed out hey well i pointed out hey we could buy so many plants and aaron pointed to the other side of the road and you could buy corn over there is what he said and i said that no you you couldn't buy the corn over there it's it's not done yet it's not it's not finished and he's like no you could you could walk up there and say hey would you like some immature corn 
and I was like, immature corn, what does that mean? And, and what do you think immature corn means? Uh, corn that is not quite ready for harvest. <laughs> not quite mature. It's not mature. It's, yes, no, it's corn it's that farts at dinner. It's <laughs> was, that's, was in fact... That's, I, you know... That's that's what I said. I so said. that was an off the wall question. That was an off the wall question. Yeah, it was. It was off the wall. wall. Can you think of other attributes, I mean, other things that immature corn might do? Um, no, it grows. It continues growing until I either eat it or put it in my <laughs> gas tank. Yeah. Um, or, or in fact, if you put it in some champagne velvet, you can. You can yeah, do that. That's yeah. true. Yeah. We have no idea what kind of corn. Is there any was. corn in the sour beer? Uh, yeah, we actually, in our uh, Flanders Red style, we use uh, some corn in that. Nice, sure. nice. Yeah. Well, that's good stuff. I actually, I did want to ask about working with pawpaw. Ah. And this is, now this is, it's an interesting fruit that not everyone, I think, has, in fact, I've never tried about it. I've only read about it. Ah, we should have grabbed some of that for you. Yeah. It, it's a tropical fruit. It, it's a semi-tropical fruit that somehow manages to grow in the Midwest. There are trees that you can just find in Indiana that are pawpaw trees. They don't last very long. They're sort of a volatile fruit. How do you work with something like that where the essence of the fruit doesn't last very long, but you need to get it into a beer? Yeah, so we, we actually have a guy that um, is able to uh, to acquire the pawpaws for us. Uh, it's Hoosier Pawpaw, um, and we've worked with him since pretty much, yeah, for years now. Um, did he did he have a previous company called Hoosier Daddy? No. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, I can't. I couldn't help it. I apologize to that. He just uh, <laughs> retired from IU doing something. I can't remember actually. Uh, <laughs> he just but, retired uh, <laughs> from life because of that joke. Yeah. I'm really bad. I, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Who's your papa? Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so he he gets them. Uh, people will bring them actually to him, and he'll actually uh, pulp them up for us. Bring them. But then within that day, he'll bring them to us, and we'll freeze them until we're able to accumulate oh, nice. enough of them. Okay. Um, then we'll throw, it in, throw yeah. it in. We'll actually do that with a lot of different fruits. Yeah. We freeze them first. That allows the cell walls to break down. It yeah. macerates the fruit a little bit. It uh, allows us to pull a lot more flavor out. But the pawpaw is, I mean, that's a really good question because yeah. it's, it is really tough to work with. The very, very first batch we ever did, we tried to process them ourselves. Um, and that was, they've got these little seeds and it's, uh, it was a huge, it was a huge ordeal. Um, yeah. Now we're using upwards of a thousand plus pounds of pawpaws and we just can't feasibly do that. Like there's different things that they need to do to process the fruit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's, yeah, it immediately you have to get it in the freezer and then we usually, it doesn't sit in there too long. No. Um, we'll usually use the fruit uh, pretty quickly after that. Okay. So is there a fruit you really like cutting up? Yeah, peaches. Peaches are the best. They taste good and they're easy. And kiwis are my least kiwis favorite. Kiwis are for the sure. worst. Free, um, free stone peaches are so satisfying yeah. to cut open. Yeah, they really are. Yeah, you can process a box in like 20 minutes. It's just quick, yeah, fast, and kind of get in like a little com- competition between whoever's sitting across from you and being yeah. like, I, your box is still half full. I just finished this whole box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we've processed uh, dragon fruit. Yep. It's oh. also not too bad if you've ever had that. We've processed rambutans. We processed. Uh, what is another weird one we've done? Smoked bananas. Smoked, that one <laughs> <laughs> smoked, <laughs> smoked, smoked bananas. Yeah, we did a, a beer with uh, Frygeist actually. Um, collaboration we, beer. Yeah, collaboration. And we 
went up to uh, Sugar Creek Malt, one of the local malting companies yeah, here. And, yeah, and uh, we used their smoker and we peeled bananas and laid them out all on parchment paper in their smoker and smoked them for like eight hours. And was it now? Was that the only smoke element in that beer? Or did you have smoked malt in there too? No, that was the only smoked smoke element. Yeah, That's right. awesome. So, yeah, how did so it turn probably out, guys, huh? it turned out really well. Actually, it really did. Yeah, yeah. So yeah he's a big surprised. fan of smoked beers, and you know, we were kind of talking about. You know, how do we meld the two breweries and so it was a that was a smoke element and then we actually blended half of a sour beer with a hefeweizen a clean hefeweizen uh, that we ended up aging in barrels for a little bit uh, but you know he's from Köln, Germany um, and he's uh, we've been continuing to work with him uh, great, fantastic brewer, uh, great guy all around, uh, solid gold um, but uh, that was a super fun beer we called it Cavendish uh, after the banana and uh, it was really nice. Had a lot of spice character, um, some nice um, esters from the from the hefeweizen, and you can get this nice kind of subtle smoke uh, character from the bananas. It yeah. wasn't very. It, it wasn't like a really intensely smoked beer. It was. Uh, it was more of a nuance, which we really thought turned out great. It's it's interesting because in is in my mind the the flavor of smoke and banana go together well or seem like they would go together well but you can't really grill a banana because it would break down so fast right so the fact that you can capture that flavor in something is fascinating yeah are you gonna make that again um probably not probably not we still have a little bit of it left oh, so okay. we, if you guys want to give it a shot we can it taste that but. i think something to my my wife is so i told you my wife likes sour beers she also loves smoked beers that's why i have huh? a smoke route that's, that's why i have a roush beer in the how uh, you feel about fridge. bananas uh you know she's okay with bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A. bananas. she's okay with bananas she doesn't like love bananas but yes but smoke smoky stuff it's whatever yeah i i i made the roush beer for her but i i tasted it yesterday when i racked it to secondary how is it uh, it's I love it, and it probably could be more smoky. What you? Uh, what kind of malt did you use? Uh, I it's half Pilsner malt, and then it's Cara Munich, and then just a very like uh, like five percent smoked malt. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Uh, very good. Yeah, and then then yeah, just some noble hops and see what it looks like. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, nice. stuff. it's not as uh, I wish I I, I should have used more Cara Munich. It's not. Nah, as dude. Co- it's it's not your as first co- time. It's, it's your first time out the gate doing a smoked beer. Don't be adventurous. You're not a hero. Well, I mean, I just wish it was more. It was more American Oktoberfest and less German Oktoberfest. I just wish you were more it's American. That, it's got that lighter in color. the podcast. Make it a <laughs> no. I just actually, I actually, I'm not trying to be patriotic. I just wanted there to be more more color, Jason. Hmm. <laughs> hey, wait, wait, what what color did it turn out to be? <laughs> it's like a light. It's a it's a very oh. light brown. Okay, all right. Yeah, it's a it's a pale it's a paler Oktoberfest than what you would see like commercially here. Okay, Oktoberfest. Okay, yeah. Uh, so uh, I think a, a question that we we interviewed a couple of pro brewers before and and some folks in the beer industry, but uh, a question that just occurred to me is I, I think it's probably really interesting for your friends and family that you that you make beer uh, for a living. What what do the people uh, who know you well? What are the like? What are the questions that you get from people who don't know much about beer? When you tell them, "Hey, I'm a I'm a brewer," and did Aaron just ask one of those questions? <laughs> <laughs> I might have. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it was not my plan by any means uh, to go down this path. Uh, I just kind of fell into it because it was a huge hobby of mine. Um, and I don't know, a question that my family asks me all the time, um, or or like a stranger who you say, "What do you do?" and you say, "I'm a brewer." What do they What do they ask? What's sour beer? If you <laughs> is it sour? <laughs> it is. It is. It is sour. Yeah. I get that one a lot. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, 
yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have a great, uh, a lot of good questions that are asked to me about it. Or asked. Yeah. yeah, that's probably the one. Like, sour beer is probably the one that I get the most. Is uh, and I, I've actually shown my family or brought some home, uh, tried some sour beer, and like, you know, you lo- they lose confidence you immediately. Immediately, like, well, you don't know how to make yeah, beer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, uh, mom still can't drink it. She can't even smell it. Like, yeah. She, oh, wow. yeah. She does. I think the mistake I made was I gave her. Uh, young fooder beer for her first one, and uh. it, she said she got some butyric in it, and so. Oh uh, yeah. She did just, she actually say that, or did she describe <laughs> something that you were like? No, she didn't say butyric. Okay. She <laughs> said it smells like vomit. Uh, she was like, um, I think you have diacetyl and acetaldehyde in this beer, <laughs> right. and um, I don't like green apples or right. butter, so <laughs> you can. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. Since I mean, all my almost all my family is now converted to craft beer, though. So yeah, oh, same here. Yeah, same here. That was Nicely light done. lager drinkers. They are all big uh, craft beer drinkers. For so, sure. so is that story like a similar story for you? Like growing up in a in a, in a light lager family, were you I a actually, light lager drinker? My dad never drank beer okay. until I started working here, and now he he'll, he still he'll have a, he doesn't drink a whole lot, but he he loves our triple actually uh, okay, that we nice. haven't made in three years and it's actually patrick just bought a brought me a four pack to give to my dad uh because he's asks every time he's around so and it's like four years so old, speaking years of beers you guys haven't made in four awesome. years and you guys are starting this new seven barrel system like do you get any action on the seven barrel system yeah or is that i'm definitely gonna, gonna go up there square. i'm definitely going up there and brewing some colches and pilsners and some cold okay. and yeah some some ipas and things like that so yeah, yeah i'm definitely gonna get up there i mean there'll be some probably do some uh yeah, some uh, stuff for potential sour things, but I definitely just want to get up there and brew, brew some brew some beer. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have that as an outlet. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that'll be really it'll be fun. It'll be really fun to drink the stuff you guys come up with when you guys can play around. Yeah, definitely. So, what's the best place to get? To, so, so when you guys get the the new place open, um, if I want to drink beer that was made on the seven barrel system that might be limited release, is that taproom only or our current plan is most of it will be you know right there at fountain square right. but um we're going to try to get some of that out to all of our locations okay. but it will be very very little actually gets out until like wholesale because it just will be really i don't know you're small. really good with the forklift i think you could, <laughs> you could, you could <laughs> yeah so yeah thanks for bringing that up <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh but yeah that's that's the plan right now is we will we'll mainly primarily be on site of fountain square but we'll have some that we may have at our other locations in Indy or even down here in Bloomington or Columbus. Um, but with it being, you know, 14 kegs, we have seven locations. You know, it's like one or two kegs per, per location. It yeah. will go by pretty quick. So, uh, so the last question I have uh, has to do with the word wild. So wild is an interesting word in beer because you can, you, can you can buy wild yeast, which is right, yeah. interesting because it's not wild yeast at all. You bought it from a, from a lab that made it. Uh, and it was, or you can just brew... Uh, with beer, like with yeast that comes on the peaches or whatever. Um, so if you were a, a, a home brewer and you wanted to get into this type of brewing, and there's lots of challenges that you mentioned with home brewing, like you can't taste it all the damn time because yeah. you don't have a, a nail and you have to use a thief or whatever and you're going to oxidize it. Um, w- would you kind of encourage a home brewer to kind of experiment with trying to cultivate their own yeast from fruit or something in their, their terroir, so to speak, or is it better to just start with some, some purchased Yeah, cultures? I mean, I would... I'd say get multiple carboys for sure yeah. and just play around. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I definitely like like the whole uh, going out and the, the fruit's a great example. I mean, it's covered in things. So if you yeah. wanted to really make something funky, get the fruit, let it start to re-ferment, actually throw that into some uh, some beer and let that kind of take over. I mean, 
lab cultures are definitely uh, more dependable um, for sure. But um, yeah, play around with, I would definitely say play around with both. Um, you can do easily do like a, even a cool ship at home if you wanted to right. just clean your, get a cooler, clean your cooler really well, let it sit out. Um, so it, and rack it off. If I do like make some of my own, my own yeast or grab some yeast from like some local fruit, would you recommend me like doing a starter to cultivate it, or is it okay to just kind of let it go slow in there? And I mean, and yeah, it would definitely be nice to grow it up. So we actually each uh, spring we go out and set collectors out um, okay. and do this. So we'll set little work collectors out, uh, let them sit overnight, gather them up, and then we'll pitch them into uh, growlers, and then go through t- or smell them all. Uh, find out which ones we like, and then grow those up into five-gallon batches, and then grow that up into a bigger batch. Okay, wow. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah, we we still do that. That's a great way to do it. Um, Or you, uh, like we just did a beer called Found, a collaboration with Blackberry Farms uh, down in uh, Tennessee, and we actually went out and harvested, like, a bunch of flowers, uh, bark, things like that, and brought them back and had uh, Matt Bachman here at IU isolate the strains and grew them up for us um individually and we were able to brew with three three of those strains that we grabbed from their farm when we were down there what's the most interesting thing you've grabbed a strain of yeast from uh i mean we've like bees or something yeah we tried bees i mean that one i mean i mean we've definitely pulled it off like people's beards and stuff like that right uh, rogue did that there was they they did a beard beer um would you market it as that or would you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, no, another thing I was going to add, you know, on the homebrew scale, one thing that you could also do, if, especially if you're, you, you want to get something that is lower risk, you know, doing the isolation and finding, I think you can make some just amazing beers if you're trying to do your own wild, spontaneous stuff. But uh, I'd also say, you know, starting out, if you're just starting out with sour beer, doing kettle sours is not a bad place to right. start. Um, and there's a lot more control. You can actually play around with acidity levels, right. and you start, you know, playing with water chemistry, things like that, um, so that you can get something that is, you know is going to most likely be drinkable. And then you can start to figure out with your own palate, like how much acidity that you like. You know, so there's that's another venue, or another another yeah. thing you and can if you you have, try. If you have reasonable temperature control, you can t- you can set the acidity almost exactly. If you yeah, can measure it. You just turn yeah. it off when you're done. Yeah, so that's something. You know, if you're f- just starting to get into sours, or you're just starting to get into like acid, basically, like right. in how to control acid in beer. Kettle sours are not a bad place to start. I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, if, in the thing with homebrewing kettle sours, you got to keep it kind of warm. Yeah, for yeah. A yeah, days. yeah. So you need so like a heat blanket and things like yeah. that to keep it at a higher temperature. Usually overnight, you're in good shape. Um, it's a little longer brewing process right. up front, but you know you can get some really nice beer and really nice, uh, and you could add you know fruit after that and do some other right. things and make some really fantastic sour you know tart beers without the risk of you know yeah actually eight months of work and nothing. The, you know, we just got an all in one system for the first time with electric, and it would be easy to leave that on overnight. With oh yeah, control yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. that'd be it'd be something to try out. Yeah, leave it around like ninety degrees, something like that. Yeah, That's exactly. Sweet. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys again for having us out. Uh, this is the second of two incredibly fun episodes. We got to awesome. drink some amazing beer. So uh, thank you to Pete and Eli and then also to Patrick, who was with us uh, two weeks ago, and that was actually just an hour ago. Uh, <laughs> Long-time Tiny Tim tri- time-traveling time listeners. Yeah. Uh, 
So thank you guys. This has thank been you tre- so much. tremendous, yeah, tremendous fun. Uh, we look forward to drinking more of your beer. Uh, I'm gonna go over and get some sour beer for my wife before we head out. Uh, it's good stuff. She would not accept me home without it. <laughs> <laughs> she she would, but I'm still gonna still gonna get some. So uh, thanks to our listeners for listening to this show. Uh, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us at uh, platosgravity.com or on all the social media places at Plato's Gravity. Uh, you can check the shows for more information about the Sour Beer Program at Upland, including all of their social media uh, hits and things like that. More information about the Fou- uh, Fountain Square Brewery. I might also throw a link in there to, like, uh, Carnivorous Plants just for fun. <laughs> yeah, and um, also uh, on Wikipedia there's a page called List of Cheeses. I'm just trying to make Aaron's job harder I'm not gonna. I'm, actually, I'm not actually going to link to the List of Cheeses. Uh, it's the best page on Wikipedia. We will see you uh, next time. In the meantime, go outside, uh, capture some yeast, and brew some beer and have some fun. Cheers. Thanks, guys.